Oh, Carrie, Carrie, I saw your folks there. They were at Temple Terrace Wednesday night. I was uh, preaching there uh, and uh, had the opportunity to see them. Saw Adam and Jessica's uh, family, grand, uh, parents, grandparents. Their grandfather, Al Disselkamp, was uh, doing a presentation that I was able to uh, hear talking about his years of preaching. And I don't remember the exact number of years, 50-something years, your grandfather's been preaching uh, the last 30-something years in the Chicagoland area. But it was, a, it was a real joy to sit and listen to him tell about his life and the, uh, the things he had seen and the changes that he had observed along the way uh, in the preaching. And he had some advice for us along the way as, as well. well. That was very good. It's good to see uh, uh, folks that I've known for most of my life. And one of the things you're reminded of always in those situations is that <clears throat> life has a way of passing by quickly and things change. And the last 15, 16, 17 months, a lot of things have changed for a lot of people. And uh, some, some of those things have just been the, due to the fact that this is, this is the order of life under the sun. Some of those things have to do with the fact that <clears throat> Satan is having his way with some folks. And a lot of a lot of darkness and heartache and sorrow and tears as a result of all of that. We're living in a world that is evil. Uh, we're living in a culture that is quickly changing. There was a lot of talk this year uh, among the folks. Uh, there was a lot of talk about culture and what's happening to us and <clears throat> how how God's people are being affected and how God's people potentially are going to be affected uh, as, as time moves forward. And then by the end of the week, uh, the situation in the Middle East has just come apart. And so you have that conflict that is going on and the, and the bombs are falling and <clears throat> we're reminded of the reality of the human condition and life under the sun. And I would, I would say to you folks that generally in the, in the context of the sunshine and the flowers and the, and the trees and the shade of the day, surrounded by friends without masks on, it, it's easy to be full of faith. In the darkness of the night and the suffering when the bombs of life are exploding all around you and you feel so alone, that, that's when we're challenged to the very core of our being as to what we really believe. And whether or not there is reality to, to the concept of God, the, the presence of God, and the activity of God, in the lives of his children. Does it matter? 
Is he there? And if he's there, does he care? And if he is there and he cares, then why isn't he making a difference for good? I mean, we're here this morning, aren't we? Not everybody got up this morning early and got dressed and came to a worship assembly like this. We did. And we're here because we, we say we love the Lord and we want to serve the Lord and we want to give honor and, and praise to the Lord and we want to be with those who love the Lord and that's fine and well and, and good and here we are. But you know, not everything in my life has worked out just perfectly in the last 12 months. I don't know about yours. I doubt it. Most of you are married. No, I'm just kidding about that. I, I, I doubt it. I, in fact, I, I think probably everybody's had, along with all the little rocks that constantly come that you put in your sack and carry around, it just goes with life. Some of you had one or two big rocks that got added to your sack this year. And you're carrying that around too. And, and the, the challenge for Christians is... Ron, I didn't know you all were here. Good to see you this morning. I, uh, the challenge for Christians is we don't know. We, we, we don't know why it has to be this way. And we don't know where this is going. I want to tell you something. The thing that really gets us in, in much of our darkness is not so much where we are. It's the fear of the unknown because we don't know where this thing is going. And we don't know where we're going with it. And the, the truth of the matter is, we are, we are tempted at times, especially in the difficulty of the day, of the night, to wonder out loud, where is God? Where was God when my father was dying and I was praying and praying that he could be relieved of, of this malady, of this disease, of this atrocity to his flesh? Where was God? And where was God when my child was sick? And I was begging God for the healing and the restoration of life. I wanted my child to grow up. And I wanted my child to have a, a, a small nose and straight teeth and a wonderful life academically. And where was God? When I was praying about my marriage... And I just wanted a godly person to walk with me in this life, to glorify God with me so that we could glorify God eternally. And where was God when I lost my job? And where was God? Where was God? One of the things you're going to see in the book of Acts as we are studying through the writings of Luke is that Luke does not try to sugarcoat, nor did the Lord himself. He does not try to uh, disguise or camouflage or sugarcoat the fact that just being a disciple of the Lord doesn't mean everything's going to be great, folks, as far as ease and comfort and that this is just going to be a Disney World experience. Not at all. Jesus, you remember, he warned his disciples over and over again, hey, they hated me. They're going to hate you also. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you also. There's going to come a time when even in the, among those who profess to be believers, 
They're going to cast you out of the synagogues. And they're going to kill you. And they're going to think they're serving God when they're doing it. Jesus said, you need to know what you're signing on to here. I'll follow you, Lord. Jesus said, you don't know what you're saying. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. And Jesus said, hey, you, come and follow me. I will. First, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You don't have your priorities in order. A third one said, I, I, I will follow you, but first, and Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is ready for the kingdom. He, he's saying to them, among other things, look, kingdom life is not for everyone. It's for those who are ready to commit their lives. You remember what Paul said? To commit their lives a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Right out of the bat, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. All the apostles are preaching on Pentecost Day. Thousands of people becoming Christians. Don't you know, spiritually, it was, uh, as it were, confetti was flying in heaven on that day. What's the very next thing Luke tells us? Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are getting arrested. I mean, they were doing a great job. This is the inaugural moments of the kingdom preaching. Already Peter and John have been arrested. Next thing we know, all, all the apostles are being arrested and beaten. They're wanting to kill them, just like they had killed Jesus. And now Stephen is preaching to the Sanhedrin. They are going to kill him. And he is going to be praying to Jesus in the very moment when they're throwing the stones at him and he's dying. Where was God? He was right there. He was right there. Saul of Tarsus is one of the, the persecutors of the church. He find, he's going to become a Christian. What a wonderful thing. Next thing we know, they're trying to kill him. Oh, so, so much for having, living the blessed life, Brother Paul. He's going to spend the rest of his life, in a sense, staying one step ahead of people who wanted him dead. Herod kills James. You remember Acts chapter 12. He saw that it pleased the Jews. He's ready to kill somebody else. Arrest Peter. Let's kill him too. Then Herod will really be the hero among these Jews. Paul is preaching the gospel. He is going throughout the Mediterranean basin, uh, carrying the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. He gets to Lystra. They take him out of the city and stone him, leaving him for dead. Paul and Silas are going to preach in Macedonia, Philippi. They're going to be beaten. They're going to be jailed. I think some people would like to have beaten me after some of my preaching, but it didn't, it didn't come from the authorities. It didn't come from the world. And at least to date, no one has physically beaten me. He gets to Thessalonica. He is reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue, persuading them. Boy, that didn't go well. Ends up with a mob attacking him. 
in Thessalonica. They have to get him out of there. He goes to Berea. He ends up in Corinth. He's arrested. He's brought before Gallio in Corinth. Why, that didn't turn out well either. And they finally dragged uh, Jason before uh, the, the court and they just beat him. There's a riot that's going to ensue at Ephesus. I, I'm saying to you, how is it possible? Here, here are people who've given their lives to the Lord. They have changed. They've given up everything. They're doing what is right. Where, where is God when all this is going on? And so, Acts chapter 7 in our scripture reading this morning, Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin, and he's telling them about Joseph, and he says, and the patriarchs, I'm a, I, I am somewhat intrigued that he refers to the sons of Jacob here as the patriarchs, even though they're still the sons. It's before their finer moments, let's say. And, and the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. If you underline things in your text, you underline that last statement. And then you draw a big red circle around the word but. The, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, they sold him into Egypt. They were plotting against him. They wanted to kill him. You, you think you have family problem? You think you have sibling rivalry in your home? They wanted him dead. Ah, oh, they decided we can make a little money on him. They sell him to a band of Ishmaelites who are passing through. Slave traders. Where, where's God when all this is going? Where's God when they were having the family meeting, the brothers deciding what to do with him? Where's God? when they're throwing him into the pit? Where is God when they're exchanging money with the Ishmaelites and they are taking the cash and Joseph is bound and he's going with the slave trade? Where is God? Hey, Joseph didn't know where he was going. He ended up going into Egypt. They took him to Egypt. And you know what they did with him there? Joseph didn't know what they were going to do with him. They sold him. A commodity. They sold him. And he ended up, ended up in the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar had a wife. And she saw this commodity that she and her husband owned. And she enticed him. And, and Joseph, who has been hated by his own brothers, he has been expatriated from his own country. He has been sold as, as some kind of human commodity, the, just flesh for sale. Joseph is still committed to doing the right thing. And you might ask, why? I mean, he's been gone all this time. His brothers didn't repent. His brothers didn't come running after him and buy him back. His brothers didn't say, I'm sorry. His dad did not come for him. We know why. His dad thought he was dead. That's what he was told. Joseph didn't know. He's still doing what's right. And, and, and when his master's wife toyed with him and enticed him, he refused her. And that was the right thing to do. And then she turned on him. And she lied about him. 
And his master apparently believed he was angry. He's full of rage, and he has Joseph cast into prison. And he's placed in the Egyptian jail. And the text says, but the Lord was with Joseph. And Stephen said to the Sanhedrin that day, but God was with him. I want to tell you, I don't know if Stephen... I don't know if Stephen was saying some of this for his own benefit or not, but preachers very often preach for their own benefit because I don't know of any people among God's people who need preaching more than preachers do. Stephen's standing there before the Sanhedrin. He's been arrested. Things are not looking good. I mean, Peter and John got arrested. Then all the apostles got arrested. Now Stephen has been arrested and he can sense that things in Dodge are about to change. And he's standing up and and he's saying to them and hearing it with his own ears that this happened to Joseph and this and this and this, but let's not forget this, but God was with him. And I'll tell you, those Christians needed to remember that. Because if they remain faithful to the Lord, what's Paul going to say to Timothy? He's going to write him a letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is writing that letter from Rome, and he was not vacationing at the Marriott, visiting the Colosseum. That's not what he was doing there. He's about to die. And among other things... He's going to say, he's going to say to Timothy, all who live godly in Christ Jesus, you remember the rest of that verse? Will suffer persecution. All. Okay. Now, who's included in that? Or uh, the other way to ask, what, what does the word all mean? Uh, all. All. Everyone who lives godly lives in Christ Jesus will pay a price for that in this world. We will. But what is Stephen saying to the center? What does Stephen need to know? Because, I mean, it's... It's just a matter of moments now. He's going to get to the climactic point of his sermon. And he is looking for some responses. Preachers write reports and they tell you how many responses they have. Stephen got lots of responses. But the wrong kind. He is moments away from his own death. And I'll tell you what he focused in on. All of these things happened to Joseph, but God was with him. I want to tell you something, folks. I don't know what you're carrying around in your sack. And I don't know what God has brought to you in these last 12 to 18 months. But I don't want you to forget what Stephen said. And I I don't know where this thing is going culturally, socially, politically. 
I, I don't know where it's going. I would say it's not looking good for God-fearing, Bible-believing Christians in this culture. Didn't look good in the first century, not looking so hot in the 21st century. But I am remembering the words of Stephen when he's saying to these Christians and to himself, no matter what, God was with him. Four things I want to say to you very quickly. Number one, when, when we're dealing with the big rock in our sack, we only know what has happened. God knows what is coming. Don't ever forget that. When you're wondering where God is and, and why he hasn't done something, or, or why did God do this, or why did God allow this to happen, we only know what has already happened. Only God knows what is coming. So I said, I, I just don't understand what, what God is doing. About Do you think when Joseph's brothers sold him to the Ishmaelites, that as he was walking away and he said, well, you know, lots of opportunities here. I'll probably go down there. I'll, I'll probably become, you know, like the Pharaoh, second to the Pharaoh. I'll probably be a really powerful, rich, wealthy man. I don't think so. He had no idea what was happening here. But I'll tell you, years later, he looked back and he said, God was all over this from the very beginning of this until now. God works all things together for the good of those who love the Lord. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to act. But I'm telling you, no matter how lonely, how dark, how difficult it may be, don't forget this. God was with him. He was with him. Secondly, we're tempted in the darkness of the moment to assume that comfort and ease are sure signs of God's presence. We're not unlike the wife of Job. You know, her idea was, as long as the cattle are multiplying and the barns are full of the harvest and our kids are all fat and happy and banqueting together, life is good and God is to be praised. But when that was taken away, what was her attitude? When those things disappeared, she, she at one point looks at her husband and she said, are, are you still glorifying God? Why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, you've served him all these years. You've prayed to him. You've believed in him. You have followed him. Right, what's it got you, big boy? You've lost everything. Just curse God and die. Why? Because she's assuming Exactly what the friends of Job assumed as they gave him secular counsel in all of that. Job, why, why am I suffering? I just don't understand. His friends say, well, Job, the reality is people suffer. You know what they said. People suffer because they deserve it. What have you done? There are some heinous crimes, some awful sin in your life. Come clean, confess, make it right with God. You know good and well that God would bless the righteous and he punishes the wicked. If, if, you're, life, if you're suffering in your life, uh, you, God is punishing you. And if, you if, if things are going well for you, that is a sure sign that God is pleased with your life. Folks, I want to tell you something. If there's nothing else that American Christians learn in the context of what's going on right now, we need to learn that the wealth and the riches and the comfort and the ease of our lives over the past four or five decades should not 
have been mistaken for God just being tickled to death with our spirituality. If anything, it may just be a sign of just how patient and long-suffering he really is. The disciples of John come up on the blind man. What do they say to Jesus? Oh, I'll be so glad when we're delivered into the eternal abode where the problems of the sin-cursed world do not fall indiscriminately on. No, that is not what they said. They said, Lord, who sinned, him or his parents? He was born like that. You know why they said that? Because they were, it was a given to them. Is your life going well? Oh, God loves you. God's, God's with you. God's blessing you. Are you having trouble and difficulty and pain and sorrow in your life? <laughs> what have you done? God's after you. Thirdly, we expect God's deliverance to be obvious and immediate. And, and that's why we think sometimes, where, where is God? Why did God forsake me? Come on, folks. We're seeing the short, the short version here. We, we haven't seen the whole movie yet. We've just seen a clip, even the trailer. And, and I want to say this, as you look at the life of Joseph, you think about God's deliverance. If, you want, if, if you're not going to believe it until you see it, you, you better be careful. If you're not going to believe that God is with you until you get the good blessings, be careful. If you're going to pray and pray and pray for God to deliver you, be careful. Joseph is growing up in the context of a family. His brothers hated him. They wanted to kill him. They were plotting against him. Uh, and finally, God delivers Joseph from his brothers. You want to pray for that deliverance? Huh? You better be careful what you pray for. You pray for God to deliver you from something, he may well deliver you from it. And you may be ushered into something that was ten times worse than what you ever imagined. It's one thing to have brothers who take advantage of you and tease you. It's another thing to be sold as a piece of human flesh, to be owned by another person. He delivered Joseph. But we expect if God's going to deliver us, it's going to be obvious, it's going to be immediate, and it's going to be wonderful. God delivered Joseph from jail. He gets in jail. What does he do? I mean, why is he there? He's there because he did the right thing in a very difficult situation. He did the right thing. What would you want your son to do? You prefer your son spend two years in jail for doing the right thing or two years in the arms of an adulterous woman? Joseph did the right thing. And God was going to deliver him. But I want to tell you, the first night he was there when he laid down on his cot or on his mat or on his straw, whatever it was, I don't know what was going through his head. As he thought about his life, about the way he grew up, his mother had died, he was orphaned. His brothers didn't treat him right. They were jealous. He ended up, his brothers plotted against him. They, they sold him. They did not love him. 
They did not want him. They did not care for him. And his father didn't come, and he doesn't know why. And they told his father he was dead, but he didn't know that. And he's down in Egypt, and he gets sold into Potiphar's house. And he's doing the very best he can do under the circumstances. And then this woman of the house who owns him, she's demanding something of him that morally and conscientiously speaks. He cannot do it. He will not do it. And he refused to do it. And, and this, if there is a God in heaven who is going to give justice to the world, this is what I get for having believed in God, honored God, doing the right thing over and over again. This is what I get. And when he woke up the next morning, do you know where he was? He was in jail. And so it was every morning for two years. One of the things that challenges our faith is that we, we think God's going to be obvious and immediate and that everything that comes from God's going to be just like we thought it was going to be. I would dare to say to you that almost nothing that comes to you from God is going to be just like you thought it was going to be. Including heaven, which is going to far surpass anything we can even imagine. And fourth and finally, we forget the difference between the temporal and the eternal. As we're dealing with our pain and our sorrows and, and the bombs of life that explode on us at times that we least expected it. The Apostle Paul would write, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits the faithful. Paul, Paul would say, as he talked about, the, the outward man is decaying. I have a very good friend who preaches at Temple Terrace. And uh, we, we have been friends for years and years and years. We're the kind of friends that we can just say to each other whatever needs to be said. And we can uh, gently provoke the obvious in one another. But he told me one morning, he said, I, I just want to tell you something. He said, when I get up in the morning, it hurts. I said, what? He said, everything. Everything. But it's eight. I, so he, he, is a, he, he, he is a year and a couple of months older than me. We shall never let him forget that. And I made a point of saying to the Temple Terrace Church from the pulpit this past week, I said, I, I can remember when I was a little boy, my parents would take me to hear Don preach. I was exaggerating just a little bit, obviously. And <clears throat> just reflecting on his age. And I would tell my mom, boy, when I grow up, I want to be able to preach just like Don, but I could never have that voice, you know. And so lovingly, he got up in the pulpit behind me and said, he still can't preach like me. But it's true. You know what he said about this body, this decaying flesh? We're getting old. We may as well laugh about it. There's nothing else we can do about it. We are. 
Though the outward man is perishing, Paul said, this inward man is being renewed day by day. For this light affliction, which is but for a moment, works an exceeding eternal weight of light affliction. Have you ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul talked about his sufferings in the flesh? And he says, this light affliction, I want to tell you, I don't know. I don't know what what kind of explosive uh, life event has been launched in your direction. But I will say this to you. It's not going to last forever. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And at the very, the most you can say about it, it's still temporal. However dark and difficult it may be. And, and the problem is, as we're looking at it and lamenting it and struggling with it, all we know is what has happened. Only God knows what is coming. Only God knows. And I'll tell you this. Stephen was reminding himself of that just a few moments before he died. That no matter what else you want to say, but God is with me. And in our lives, he takes the thread of your life, the thread of my life, the thread of other people's lives. He takes this person and that event and that government and that pandemic, and he takes those threads and he just begins weaving them all together. And we don't have any idea what that pattern's going to look like when he's done. All we know is the overlapping, intertwining of the threads at that moment. But I'll tell you this, he knows exactly what that cloth looks like when it's all over. I know what has happened, but he knows what is coming. That's why we go forth in the world with the message of Christ and we declare to those around us that the answer is Jesus and we need to follow him. If you're here this morning not a Christian, what a wonderful time for you to confess your faith in the Lord.